BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm, that was a really good delivery. Thank you. Well that was, done. It felt smooth. I feel like I did that one smoothly. You're such a host. I know. Really I'm, proud of I'm you for that. I'm getting better at it, I feel like, too. Yeah, I agree. I feel like. Maybe that's not always true, but... <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Tonight, I, I feel like it. Good love it when we're like yeah a little confidence boost feeling feeling strong feeling fresh i am not feeling strong nor am i feeling fresh <laughs> but you can carry the you can carry that for both of us I'll tonight carry, i'll carry all the freshness yeah well speaking of being fresh we need to ask the question that is always fresh mm. what are you drinking tonight fresh and relevant mm-hmm. i've got some cold brew with that cookie dough cold foam oh yeah not good for my body, but very good for my soul. Very tasty. Mm, it's a so good drink. It is. What do you have? I so I, I think I drank this on the last uh, episode that wasn't just for Patreon listeners. Uh, small plug that if you are not on Patreon, you're missing some special episodes, and you need to go hop on that train right We're now. Three episodes deep over I on know, Patreon. I know, and the last one was incredible. I will say Thank that you. they're all great, but that one. I'm still reeling from that because it was so good. Thank you. But the last non-Patreon exclusive episode, I was drinking this from Vala's Orchard Cider Company, which is from the Vala's Pumpkin Patch here in the Omaha area. Not a sponsor. Uh, And it's this Pineapple Love Potion Cider, a lovable semi-sweet cider touched with a splash of pineapple and lavender. And it it is a very tasty little flowery drink i do like it quite a, a little bit. concoction yeah it's yummy that's good i feel like yeah. i tried that at valas this year you want to try I it right now no i can't oh. remember i don't <laughs> want to mix like milky coffee with Fair. cider that does not sound Fair. good i mean i can keep reading there's more description to it but i feel like I, you know what i trust you <laughs> i trust you i think because they they what they were doing in one of the new buildings which i think is like purposed as a cider mill Mm -hmm. was they like introduced new drinks and that was one of them. And I was stuck between that one and a different one. I don't remember which one I ended up choosing, but I know that I liked it. Yeah. Very good. As far as ciders go, I'm not usually a cider guy, but this is a good one. But you're also not, not a cider guy. You're not like anti-cider. It's true. Yeah, that's fair. There's other things I'm very much not a fan of. And uh, this is one that I'll, I'll have. Let's have an episode where Kevin just airs his grievances on things oh. he doesn't like. <laughs> All so. the things I dislike. <laughs> Kevin reviews. Oh, All right. Well, love, you got a good feel-good fact for us today? Um, Yeah. It's more of like an interesting fact. 
So oh, okay. It made me feel good when I read it. So John Lloyd Wright, the son of the legendary architect Frank Lloyd Wright, invented Lincoln Logs, inspired by his father's design of the Imperial Hotel in Japan. So hmm. the interlocking beams were originally designed with like earthquake resistance in mind. And John wanted to create that same design on a smaller scale for children to get them introduced to like the excitement of architecture. Yeah. And there's something about that that felt very wholesome to me because I believe it or not, we have a episode that Frank Lloyd Wright has something to do with Oh, in the upcoming future. And so I've been reading a book about that. That's fun. And one of the things that his mom would have him do from like a very, very tender young age was play with like geometric blocks. Mm -hmm. And she had like a huge passion for like the beautiful cathedrals across Europe. And she really loved architecture. And she like imparted that onto Mm. Frank Lloyd Wright as like a little tiny tot. That's really cool. And so to me, when I read it, it made me feel good because I'm like, look at that. Just like following in the footsteps of your father, which I thought was really cool. I think so, too. It's more of a fun fact, but. Also, uh, he absolutely nailed it because Lincoln Logs are one of the most fun things ever to play with as a child and even into (laughs) my adulthood. Whenever we go to your dad's house to visit and we bust out the Lincoln Logs for the kids, like one and or both of us will end up building something while <laughs> exactly. we're there. Exactly. So thanks, John Lloyd Wright. Yeah, he You've crushed done it. it. He nailed it. 100%. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now that you made us feel good with all that mm. and, and reminisced on our childhoods, mm. sort what's of. the story that you got for us for this week? Okay, so this week we're going to talk about a mysterious disappearance. We haven't done that in a minute. On a stormy night in November of 1980, 32-year-old Granger Taylor went missing. Granger was described as a genius mechanic with the world at his fingertips, but he had seemingly vanished off the face of the earth. He left behind only one clue of where he could have gone, a note to his parents informing them that he was leaving on an alien spacecraft to take part in a glorious interstellar voyage. Hmm. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. I'm already like very excited because as you know, and most of our listeners know, anytime that aliens come into the conversation, I'm immediately hooked. Mm. So I'm, I'm ready. Even if it doesn't actually go down that road. <laughs> very it will far. go down that road. Okay. Far. Well, I'm, I'm just saying I'm ready. This is okay. exciting to me. Okay. Granger Orman Taylor was born on October 7th, 1948 in Duncan, British Columbia, which is in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's situated on the southeastern shores of Vancouver Island. So Duncan was a small, tight-knit fishing and logging community. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of small town where everybody kind of knew everybody and where people felt completely safe, like the kind of safe where people don't lock their doors, like they don't even feel the need to. When Granger was a baby, unfortunately, his father passed away due to a drowning accident while on family vacation at a cabin on Horn Lake. Hmm which is just so devastating. So Granger's mother, Grace, got remarried when Granger was two years old to a widower named Jim Taylor. Jim had children of his own, and so when they got married, two families blended together, and by all accounts, the new Taylor family, mom, dad, and seven children, all had an absolute blast together. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, and so... You're setting this up very nicely. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. So... Granger was close with all of his siblings, and there are step-siblings, half-siblings, full-blood siblings, all that kind of stuff. For the sake of just keeping it concise, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and just say brother or sister. Sure, yeah. Whenever I'm referring yeah. to any of them, I'm not going to make the step-half-whatever distinction, just sure. as like a little side note. So from a very young age, Granger's family noticed that he had a few unique aspects about his personality. He was pretty shy and didn't really thrive in social situations, but he would spend his like all of his waking hours taking things apart and putting them back together, hmm. obsessed with learning and understanding the mechanics of everything that he could possibly get his hands on. Yeah. He was extremely intelligent and intuitive, but despite that, he was not really super interested in school. He really didn't like school. He actually ended up dropping out of school after he finished the eighth grade, but that did not stop him from pursuing his interests and gaining valuable life and professional experience. Hmm. His neighbor was an auto mechanic, and as soon as Granger left school, he became an apprentice for this neighbor and was a total sponge, just kind of taking in all of the wisdom that he could. And within a year, Granger 
was like felt ready. And so he opened up his own mechanic shop on his family's property. Oh, cool. They had kind of like a like a edge of the forest mm-hmm. property. And I don't think it was super isolated, but they did have 21 acres. Like it was yeah. a, a big. Okay. Well, basically a, big a compound, plot. not compound, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not an, an acreage. Acre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically an acreage mm-hmm. where he, he could spread out and do a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So the projects that he'd worked on throughout his teen years were extremely impressive. He built a single cylinder car, mm. like from the ground up, just built a car. And he did that nice. more than once. He found a bulldozer that he had brought back to life, despite the <laughs> fact that other like longtime mechanics had told him that the project was impossible and that like this bulldozer thing is not salvageable. <laughs> Take that. Totally <laughs> usable. Like he made it and it was he used it all the time. Mm-hmm. He built a replica of a plane as well as various other projects that he would use either to like help out neighbors with construction projects, or he would sell some of them to collectors mm. and was even contracted by provincial governing bodies who would pay him extremely well for his work. He was like an absolute prodigy wow. in the world of mechanics. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the plane for a second, because honestly it's like super, super crazy that he was able to do this. So basically what he did was he took old photos of a World War II, it's called a P-40 Kitty Hawk plane, Mm -hmm. and he rebuilt it with such stunning accuracy that his measurements were down to the millimeter. Oh my gosh. And he did this in like his late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And he nailed everything, which is just crazy. Wow. He used scrap metal to rebuild this thing, and he engineered it in such a way that he was able to get it to hover off of the ground. What? So it wasn't just, it was able to hover. Yeah. Like like basically like anti-gravity. That's next level. He was remarkable. What year was this in? This was in like the, so he was born in 1948. He was doing this as a teenager. In like the sixties. Yeah. Wow. In the seventies. Like he kept doing this. Yeah. He was just honestly just really, really impressive. He ended up selling that replica to a collector for $20,000. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Get after it, Granger. (laughs) I know. He also found an old busted up steam locomotive kind of rotting away in the forest near his home, and he spent two full years restoring it. Hmm. When -hmm. it was in working order, he got this thing to work, and it looked brand new. He installed train tracks on his parents' property and would take local kids and like people who were coming (laughs) to town for the purpose of seeing this train for rides on this once like derelict train brought back to life. Yeah. There was truly no mechanical feat that he couldn't master. He was Jeez. he was a genius. Yeah. Yeah. So by adulthood Granger was described as big and burly but with a real passion for educating local adults and children about his craft. <laughs> and he served as a sort of mentor for dozens of people who were interested in mechanics. He was unbelievably intelligent and gifted even without much of a formal education. <laughs> Just like very uniquely talented yeah. and skilled. Yeah. He did kind of struggle even in his adulthood in certain social situations. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, you know, per- just he just preferred to work on a project in his shop with like a few friends or local kids who'd come by wanting to like learn the tools of the trade sure. or wanting to check out one of his cool projects because he had so many. Mm. One of his favorite projects was lovingly known as the spaceship. The spaceship came to be because Granger and his friend Robert Keller had shared a mutual affinity and fascination about outer space and the idea of alien life like somewhere out there in the cosmos. <laughs> Granger built the spaceship out of two radio satellite dishes where like the big open dome part of each satellite was facing mm-hmm. the other one. So it was like okay. an, an open space and it yeah. looked like, you know, yeah. like the artistic renditions of the Roswell incident and yeah, stuff like that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. He fastened those parts together and he like put them up on stilts. So you would use like a ladder to get in. <laughs> and after about a year of working on this project, Granger filled the spaceship with a couch and a TV and even a wood burning stove so he could enjoy the space that he created during Canada's colder months. that's so cool I know what started out as a fascination and routine talking point while smoking pot or dropping LSD with his friends turned into almost a professional fascination with alien life (laughs) and in particular with the mechanics of an alien spacecraft what makes them do what they do Mm, wow and you also have to consider that this is the 70s and so conversations about UFOs and flying saucers and all that kind of stuff are 
blowing up everywhere. Yeah. And they're still pretty fresh. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to think it's about. A, like a really, honestly, a very unique time. Yeah. So, well, and it sounds like he was also such a talented mechanic mm-hmm. that he was able to basically create an alien spacecraft. Not, I mean, you know, like to, mm-hmm. to a to a degree. Not um, like not functioning the right. same way that we might think. Right. But it was like he was doing things that are like, oh, is that even possible? Which is right. pretty cool to think about. So he's thinking beyond that and thinking of the scope of alien technology and Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the inner wow. workings of how these things can go so fast yeah. and how they can hover and how some of them are loud and some of them are silent and yeah. like that kind of stuff. So Granger's friend Robert was kind of his equal and opposite. Mm-hmm. Granger was older than Robert by a few years, but both men actually dropped out of school after eighth grade. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so they kind of had okay. that in common. Yeah, so they were, uh, they would be considered uneducated, but you could also say that they were just specialized in their education right. after that. Cause right. It's like informal yeah. trade school almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Robert kind of had a penchant for mischief and sometimes he would get himself into trouble. And so Granger kind of took him under his wing and worked to give his friend productive things to do mm-hmm. and like work on with him. Wow. So yeah, I feel like he saw him mm-hmm. and was like, if I didn't have the, this like passion for mechanics and the ability to like make that passion into something that can earn me a living, then I would be rudderless also. Right, and right. I don't want that for anybody. Yeah. And so he really like took it on himself to try and keep that, that friend mm-hmm. that's out of great. a dangerous path. Yeah. He yeah. was high character is what I'm getting at. Yeah. That's really cool. According to Robert Granger would show up at his home every day around eight in the morning and he would pick him up and have him help out around his shop or with like, something he was working on building and things Mm -hmm. like that. Robert credits much of his success and the fact that he stayed out of trouble to his friendship with Granger and to Granger's commitment to caring for him and giving him opportunities. Robert also noted that Granger was just like remarkably adept at his trade and that he had a shocking ability to absorb information. Hmm. Watching him work on a project was kind of like watching an artist in their element. He would later say in an interview with Vice that Granger was so smart that he was, quote, a genius bordering on insanity, end quote. (laughs) And the two friends were pretty much inseparable for many years, and they really just loved and trusted each other. That's really cool. It's like a really sweet friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love Hmm. it. So after a short period of time with aliens kind of being at the forefront of Granger's mind, he began telling friends and family that aliens had begun communicating with him. Oh, okay. First, he claimed that the communication was strictly telepathic, but he also built a radio system that he would use to attempt to make contact with the aliens from his own spaceship in the backyard. Mm-hmm. For months and months, this was the main thing that he was focused on, and he was determined to figure out if and how he could make official contact with beings from outer space. Wow. Yeah, it it, hmm. it really was like... It started out as kind of a slow burn, mm-hmm. and then I feel like once it picked up steam, it just kind of, and we'll see this as we go, it just kind of like accelerates mm-hmm. and accelerates increasingly kind of like out of control. So we're going to actually rewind for a second because I think that this is at least somewhat relevant to the story. Okay. So six months after Granger had finished building the train, in 1969, a string of UFO sightings began happening around the Duncan area. Mm. On New Year's Eve of 1969, at a hospital near Granger's home, a group of four nurses working in the geriatric wing of the hospital looked out the window around 5 a.m. and saw something baffling in the early morning sky. They saw what they described as a brightly lit flying saucer hovering about three stories off the ground. One of the nurses claimed that when she looked closely at the craft, she saw two humanoid forms inside of the craft who appeared to be looking out of the window. Oh, jeez. And then slowly, the craft began to drift away from the hospital and towards a tree line when it suddenly blasted off into the night sky at, like, the speed of a shooting star. Wow. Yeah. Wild. Oh, that's crazy. For the next 24 hours or so, townspeople in Duncan and surrounding communities reported sightings of a similar craft with extremely consistent details. Hmm. Reports came in from all kinds of people, young and old, wealthy, poor, school teachers, and even a pilot with the Royal Canadian Naval Air Service. Wow. Yeah. So like super all kinds legit. of people. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for months after that day full of sightings in southern Vancouver Island, aliens and UFOs definitely remained a hot topic. And so the fact that Granger had also developed a fascination with the subject really isn't surprising at all. Mm. And it seems as though he was finding himself to be kind of under challenged throughout the 70s and that he kind of had like a growing thirst for understanding. Like he wanted to be the one to understand something that nobody else understood. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to, to be the one who broke this like whole thing open mm-hmm. and yeah. Opened the can of worms, so to speak. And right. Totally. That, that would, that would be exciting, which makes sense. Cause he's, you know, he was a young prodigy. Mm-hmm. He has already been doing things that seems like very few other people were able to do. So for him, it's like, you know, at one point you eventually you have to say, I want to be the one who discovers, uh, a lost element or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, right. That's, that's the next thing for him almost. Totally. He like, he really believed that if anybody could crack the code on UFOs and like how they're capable of such astounding mm-hmm. physical feats, like, like alien aeronautics and all that kind yeah. of stuff that it would be him. He yeah. truly believed that. Wow. So we're going to hop back into what was going on in Granger's life in the summer of 1980. Mm-hmm. Nobody in Granger's family was concerned about his mental state in any way. They said that he was totally his normal, fun self and that he did not appear to be struggling with his mental health in any way. (laughs) Yeah. The only notable thing that came up a few times is that Granger had started routinely dropping acid, sometimes multiple times a day, in the Mm. months leading up to his disappearance. Mm. According to reports from friends and family that, like, either dropped acid with him or had at least had conversations with him about his use of acid. Granger had never had a bad trip, nor had he ever suffered any ill effects from the acid either. Hmm. They said that he spoke how he always did. He was very honest, very matter of fact. And the content of his conversations was obviously strange, but he seemed so cool and collected and so certain about what he claimed that he'd learned so far. And so nobody was really worried about him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, it Just makes kind of sense. Talked in circles a little bit. No, no, no. It, I think what you're what you're saying makes sense. It's you know, there's obviously like the point of uh, you're dropping acid mm-hmm. and end sentence. Like there's a little bit there of like maybe you're you know a little bit impressionable or uh, even even beyond that, your mind is so wide open that like anything seems possible. You know, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, and at this point, he's he's claiming that he's made like telepathic mm-hmm. contact with aliens or they made contact with him one way or the other. Right. So I think it's not that because he's dropping acid that he's totally like not credible. Mm-hmm. But what it does do is it just calls into question certain things at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure for some people, it calls into question everything. Sure. I, that wouldn't be me. Like... I would hear that and say, well, maybe maybe like a certain moment that he's dropping acid might be less credible than when he's in the middle of a work day, you know, <laughs> like sure. when he's just when he's thinking more clearly on certain things. Sure. Uh, but all that being said, it sounds like he has a general disposition of kind of steady and calm. And right. even if he even if he's fun, he's not boring, but he's like just uh, he's consistent. Reserved. He's yeah. con- and he's consistent. Mm-hmm. And it seems like everybody else is affirming that consistency in him, whether he's, you know, tripping or not. Like, right. He's, right. He's, he's still consistently himself. And so for them to not be worried uh, makes a lot of sense when you have all the context built in. Sure. Which is helpful. Yeah. Okay, good. So as the summer gave way to autumn, Granger began spending more and more time in his backyard spaceship, studying pseudoscientific literature in hopes of learning more about potential alien life. (laughs) Finally, while he was laying in bed late one night, Granger claimed to have had an out-of-this-world encounter. He told his friend Robert that aliens had visited him in his dreams and that they had a whole lot to tell him. According to Granger, the aliens began communicating with him every night when he went to bed, and eventually they would even reveal certain secrets about how the aliens got around and maintained secrecy from humans during their trips to visit Earth. Oh, wow. He said that they'd essentially park their enormous ship, a ship that was said to be almost an entire mile across, in the sky above the cover of a thick layer of clouds, 
Hmm. And that the particular group of aliens that he was communicating with primarily visited during major thunderstorms because the clouds would keep them hidden and the rumbles of thunder would kind of mask the loud mechanical sounds of the craft. Hmm. Okay. They also gave him vague descriptions of like UFO propulsion, stating that they couldn't tell him all there was to know about the mechanics of the ships, but that their abilities could partially be explained by some type of magnetism. Hmm. So. Okay. Things are progressing. Yeah, that seems like that makes sense. Um, I want to like just sit on the magnetism thing for a second because Earth is has a natural magnet to it. Mm -hmm. Not not just gravity. Like there's magnets in rock, and there's uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there's some degree of magnetic uh, field within the Earth's core. I think. And so I know I'm totally nerding in a way. I don't think you've ever seen me nerd before. <laughs> mm. um, and I I think I'm totally speculating. So if I'm like way off, someone can correct me. Um, but I think for that to be true would mean that a, an alien spacecraft would have to have as powerful of a magnetic uh, field coming off their spacecraft that had the same uh, polarity as the magnet in the Earth's core which would push it outward mm. or the other way around would be that they would have opposite and it would pull it inward and somehow they would push off with some other way of propulsion. But I'm totally nerding in a way that uh, maybe will not keep <laughs> in, in the episode, <laughs> but I think we should keep it regardless. Uh, I just thought that I think that's an interesting concept for him, even if he's totally tripping, tripping acid and, you know, struggling in whatever way. Uh, to like actually stay in reality, mm-hmm. uh, there's I feel like there's precedent and principle for that to actually be true, right? Well, and he's been sitting in there reading book after book after book after yeah. book, yeah. And a lot of a lot of what I saw about the types of book that he books that he was reading, yeah, was pseudoscience, but also like he was reading things about physics and like stuff that he didn't get the opportunity to be taught mm. about in high school. Yeah. But he also is employing that like extreme sponge ability of his brain. And so whether he actually had these dreams mm-hmm. or not, I feel like is doesn't really matter one way or the other because he at the end of the day was able to learn yeah, yeah. what he believed he needed to know to make sense of what he claimed to have been seeing. Right. Also, once again, talking in circles, but I don't no, no, know. No, He's no. just such that, a fascinating person yeah, to me. Yeah, that's really cool. There's there's a lot going on with him and his knowledge, his abilities, um, where it just creates a really vast uh, kind of setting that you can say, mm-hmm. okay, like even if the setting is only you know the land, the acreage that he lives on, like the the, the setting of his mind kind of gives us some insight into just where he's thinking and Mm -hmm. all that. And like the possibilities with somebody like Granger seem so endless. Cause it's like, yeah, even just reading the things that he like has confirmed that it was him that built it Mm -hmm. and constructed it are so impressive that it's like, why not? Right. In my mind. That's cool. I mean, that's obviously an opinion statement, but let's keep rolling. So in October of 1980, Granger confided in Robert and in various other friends and family that he had officially been invited on an extended expedition through the Milky Way galaxy. He told them a date (laughs) and that the aliens would come and get him on that date and that there would be an intense storm. One of the worst storms the area had seen in a while on the night that he would be picked up. Hmm. They all just kind of like laughed it off like, yeah, that would be so crazy, man. But like, it was a dream, (laughs) right? You know? Yeah. And so after hearing about the dreams and Granger's plans to join the aliens, many of his friends continued to sort of nudge at him that, you know, this is just a dream. While others fully believed that if anybody would be contacted by an extraterrestrial race, that it would undoubtedly be Granger, (laughs) given the fact that he's such a unique genius and that he's so open and willing to believe that there's more to our existence than meets the eye. Wow. And like his also his willingness to do just about anything in order to learn about something that he was passionate about. Yeah. So to to the friends that believed that what Granger was telling them was at least true to Granger. Yeah. Whether or not it was true as a whole that like, yeah, you would be the person that aliens would be <laughs> like, hey, can we like pick your brain for a second? Right, right. 
So <laughs> the days ticked on and Granger maintained that he would be leaving soon. And finally, on November 29th, 1980, a serious thunderstorm blew in. It was the most intense rain and wind that the area had seen in a while, leaving power lines downed and trees ripped from the ground by their roots. The day after the storm, the local papers would refer to it as the storm of the century. Wow. Which is interesting, mm. given what he had said yeah. to his friends. It also happened to be the date that Granger claimed that he would be taken by aliens to go on his voyage. Wow. So on the 29th, around 6 p.m., Granger went into town and got himself dinner at a local restaurant. The waitress who served him that night noted that he was totally normal in terms of how he was dressed mm. and in conversation, but she did notice that he didn't have a coat on, which was odd considering the incoming storm. Yeah. He left around 6.30 p.m. and drove his Datsun pickup truck to Robert's house and told him that tonight was the night that he would be leaving for outer space and that he'd be back in 42 months. Oh. Robert watched his friend drive off into the stormy night, unaware that this would be the last known time that anybody would see Granger Taylor alive. Oh. So I mentioned at the beginning that Granger had left a note for his parents. He dated it 11-29-80, and he wrote this note, taping it to his bedroom door. Okay. It said, quote, Dear mother and father, I have gone away to walk aboard an alien ship as recurring dreams assured a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. I'm leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger. End quote. Hmm. He illustrated a guide on the back of the letter, and the belief is that the drawing is of the Waterloo Mountain, which was about 10 miles from Granger's home. Hmm. As November 30th rolled in, citizens of Duncan and the surrounding towns that were hit by the storm focused their efforts on cleaning up the town that was like covered with debris and fallen sure. tree limbs and sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Taylors had just discovered the note and realized that they couldn't find Granger. Hmm. For the days and weeks that followed, Granger's family searched high and low for him, checking in with hospitals in the area, as well as local prisons, hotels, and lonely roads and hiking areas. When they still hadn't found Granger, they looked at his will and noticed that he'd replaced the word deceased throughout his will with the word departed, leading the hmm. family to believe that Granger was very much alive. He also removed the word funeral and didn't replace it. Hmm. To this day, many of them maintain that they believe that Granger is, in fact, alive and that he was simply doing what he always did. He told them he was going to do something, and then he did it. <laughs> yeah. Like, no nuance, no hidden meanings, always straight up, as always. Hmm. Despite their best efforts and the efforts of local police, no trace of Granger Taylor or his truck that he was last seen driving could be recovered. Hmm. So, wow. where was he? Right. When June 29th, 1983 rolled around, that marked the 42 months since Granger's departure. His friends and family, the ones that were holding on to hope that Granger was just out on an adventure throughout the galaxy, waited with heightened anticipation that they would soon be reunited with their son, brother, cousin, friend. Mm -hmm. Granger's brother, Douglas, worked for the Canadian Coast Guard, and he sat up all night that night and he watched the sky for signs of his brother's return, but it was not to be. Hmm. June 29th came and went and still no Granger. And the years ticked on. Hmm. Oh, In no. April of 1986, almost six years since Granger was last seen, a municipal crew was working near Mount Prevost. I'm going to say Prevost. Is it Prevost? I have no idea. Canadians, help me out. <laughs> so it's a mountain just north of Duncan. Okay. While they were out there, they discovered an artificial crater that was roughly 600 feet wide with scraps of metal scattered all around the immediate area. Hmm. It appeared to be a long-forgotten blast site, but none of the people on the crew could recall working at this site in the mm -hmm. recent past. When they reported the blast site to police, the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, or RCMP, were quickly sent to the scene. Hmm. They conducted an investigation of the whole area and found several scraps of metal that appeared to have been from a blue truck. Whatever had caused the blast, there were parts of the vehicle that had been blasted all the way up into the trees— where they had remained for an extended period of time, just kind of like rusting away in the elements. Oh, wow. They also recovered bones near the crater, which were sent off to be analyzed at the lab. Mm. After analysis was complete, it was determined that the bones were human. Wow. The conclusion that the police had come to was that Granger Taylor had dynamite in his truck, which he routinely worked with dynamite mm -hmm. to get like tree stumps blown out. That was like a common thing at the time. 
Okay. They believe he then drove into the pre prevost prevost <laughs> mountains. I'm so sorry, and either accidentally or purposely set the dynamite off, and that the explosion had killed him, erasing almost every trace of his body, save for the few shards of bone recovered at the site. Wow. The official coroner's inquest relied on this information. Kind of, you know, regardless of the fact that the evidence was mostly circumstantial. Sure. To determine that Granger Taylor was deceased. Hmm, and okay. I feel like this is a, such a tricky thing because, like, the coroner really was left to just use their best discretion and yeah. available evidence to make this determination, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. It's tricky because they're they're wanting a final answer to both what happened to Granger Taylor mm-hmm. and what happened here at this blast. Right. And it seems like there's enough things that like sort of align right. for them to put the two things together and then walk away. Um, totally. So it, it makes sense. Is it, you know, we've had a few episodes where we've questioned some shoddy police work and shoddy coroner's work mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And this is one of those that it's not quite as extreme as other ones that we've seen. But it still seems a little bit like, uh, you probably could have done better. Like, I always feel like it's tough when evidence is circumstantial. Yeah, exactly. That's and how like, I feel too. Making a definitive call off of circumstantial evidence, like I'm I'm always on the fence about that. I'm kind of case by case with like sometimes that does make perfect sense and other times it just doesn't. And it right. feels like, you know, kind of like the get out of jail, no pun intended, get out of jail free card yeah. to just like close a case really fast. Right, right. That's how it feels. So I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. I go back and forth on it. So let me tell you some more. Okay. Many of Granger's loved ones did accept this. Granger had been self-isolating and using drugs while simultaneously obsessing over aliens and UFO mechanics. Mm -hmm. Given his normally level-headed nature, the loved ones who accept the police force's ideas of Granger's final hours, the fact that the months leading up to his disappearance were so different than normal and kind of marked Mm -hmm. by oddity Mm -hmm. was that this idea of what happened made sense to them. Sure. They were like, this is awful, but like, this does make sense. Mm. Others were not so convinced. The first issues that some of his loved ones had was the fact that the evidence was circumstantial. Yeah. They argue that just because the bones were human, it didn't definitively prove that they belonged to Granger Taylor. Right. Back in the eighties, DNA testing was not the well-oiled machine that it is today. Not even kind of. <laughs> right. I think it was like in its very infancy. Yeah. They, at didn't, this they time. didn't even use computers for it yet. I right. Mean, n- not very many. Right. So the bones were actually not tested and never positively identified. Hmm. The bones were somehow lost and have yet to be recovered. And so, unless those bones are tested, I mean, I guess found first and then tested and proven yeah. to be Granger's, yeah. some of his loved ones refused to accept that this was his fate. Wow. The typical process is that remains would be given to the next of kin after any like analysis was complete. Mm -hmm. And if the next of kin either couldn't be contacted or if they declined to take the remains, then the coroner would make a decision on what to do with the remains, you know, whether they chose to cremate or what have you. Mm -hmm. According to Robert, he'd spoken with many members of the Taylor family, and he alleged that they were never reached out to about taking the remains. And there's no record on the coroner's report indicating what happened to the bones either way. Hmm. So a lot of them who don't accept this is it's the though that's a pretty smoking gun to be like, this doesn't feel right thorough enough for me right. to say, okay, fine, that was Granger. Yeah. Well, and just to say missing human bones, missing human remains is kind of like a that's a huge red flag. I it feel almost like. feels like they're they're kind of having to just go off of yeah. the word of the investigators. Right. Because it's it, it leaves the possibility that there never were any bones. Mm-hmm. And that is cons- uh, just very concerning. Mm-hmm. Another element of suspicion is the police reports regarding the truck fragments that were recovered. Mm-hmm. So the police determined that the scraps had belonged to a blue truck. And while it's true that Granger's truck had been blue at one point, Robert and Granger and another friend of theirs had actually painted it Pepto-Bismol pink just months before he'd gone missing. Mm. So if the truck fragments they'd recovered belonged to a blue truck, then it couldn't have been Granger's. His truck was not blue. Mm. Police claim to have verified that the truck was Granger's based on the VIN number, the vehicle identification number. But to some, it still doesn't add up. And they haven't seen like proof of that, I guess. So once mm. again, like 
they're just kind of having to accept things as they're being told. Yeah. And so they have questions. Yeah. Which makes logical sense to me. Yeah. The next question on the minds of those closest to him is like, like, why? If this is true, if what the police is, you know, their estimate on what happened is true, why would Granger do this? Some have theorized that if the blast site was in fact a result of Granger igniting dynamite, some of his loved ones believe that it was an accident. Mm. That maybe he'd parked out, you know, near the mountain to get a higher point so the aliens would be able to access him more easily. Some believe that he had planned to use the dynamite as either a sort of signal flare to like show mm-hmm. his location mm-hmm. or that he had successfully ignited the dynamite and effectively launched himself into space. Where hmm. he was intercepted by the aliens and then brought along a f- on a fantastical journey. So, wow. Granger's yeah. own mother believed that he was in space. Like, he he made it. Mm-hmm. He made it. He sure. said he was going to and he did it. Sure. And she argued that time is relative and that maybe 42 months in space is not the same as 42 months on Earth. And so she waited until the day that she died for her son, who would only be aged 35 years, to return home and tell her all about his incredible journey. Hmm. Which wow. like just yeah right That's in like, the heart. Oh man, she went to her grave believing that yeah that he was going to show up. He was going to come back and and tell her all about it. And he would have aged in forty two months space time, so he would still be young. Yeah, and he would be coming into this amazing world with all of these advancements that have been made since he left. He's going to love yeah all of these cool oh things gosh. that have come to be. Yeah, if you don't cry oh. on this episode, I will be shocked. So other family members believe something much darker and much more reasonable could explain this whole thing. So content warning, I'm going to briefly mention suicide and mental health struggles. And so if those are sensitive topics for you, please feel free to skip forward. Hmm. Some of his loved ones believe that there were several warning signs leading up to Granger's disappearance that may have been indicative of Granger wanting to hurt himself or even wanting to take his own life. Mm -hmm. While he had no known mental diagnoses and was described as fun-loving and joyful, the months leading up to his disappearance were obviously more eccentric than normal. Hmm. Okay. And the way that he would kind of spend every free second in his spaceship and the way that he seemed to only be interested in aliens and UFOs was, was actually concerning to some of his loved ones, like even before he'd gone missing. Hmm. Yeah. They were like, I mean, I guess it's not that weird. Like Granger gets into interested in something and he just kind of falls down the rabbit hole and maybe this is just like a interesting little phase sure. that he's going through. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But then yeah. later they're like, yeah, I was worried about that the whole time. Like mm. I just now realized that I, there was red flags there. Yeah. Interesting. And so they actually believe that it is highly possible that Granger went up to the mountain with the intention of completing suicide and that the note that he'd written was his like kind way of trying to soften the blow of losing him. Hmm. Like if he gave them something like that to hang on to, then maybe it wouldn't hurt so bad for him to leave. Hmm. Granger's sister, Joan, believes that this is the truth. She said that he was lonely and that to this day she regrets not inviting him over more and carries heavy guilt of not including him as much as she could have. Which like, Joan, I'm sure you're not listening, but like you can't put that on yourself. Yeah. You cannot put that on yourself. So another one of his siblings, Joseph Taylor, said... Quote, let's set the record. Granger's gone. He's dead. He did some amazing things, but Granger had some challenges. He couldn't deal with those challenges. He took his life. End quote. Wow. Even after Granger was pronounced dead due to massive injuries due to the consequence of an explosion, that was his cause of death, uh, the family didn't have a funeral for him in case he wasn't truly dead. Mm Mm-hmm. This has been a massive point of pain for the Taylor family, given the devastation of losing someone so close to them in such a gut-wrenching way, while others in the family refuse to believe it to be true despite evidence that would make sense. Sure. Still, for years after his disappearance, Granger's parents left his room intact and left the back door unlocked every single night just in case he decided to come home and pick up where he left off. Hmm. But from what I could find, most of the people who were closest to him that are still alive today do agree that Granger is most likely deceased. Mm-hmm. But there's one person in particular that stands out, kind of kind of stands against that, and that's Robert. Mm. Yes. Okay. Robert was the one who made the point about the discrepancy in the color of the truck and the fact that the coroner's inquest failed to provide any actual definitive evidence. Yeah. Since the bones were lost before they could be tested for DNA or positively ID'd. 
He noted that Granger was highly experienced with dynamite, and so there's no way that he would do this on accident, and that he had no reason to believe that Granger would want to complete suicide. He believed that if Granger said he was going to do something, that he would do it. It's kind of a point sure. that yeah. m- many yeah. people close to him have made. And then he like he wouldn't lie about it, you know? He would just say, hey, this is what is going on in my brain right now. And so the fact that he had never made mention of any mental health struggles or urges to harm himself or end his life feel very relevant to Robert. Hmm. Robert noted that Granger had said some stuff in the past about like, if he ever tried to disappear, he'd just grow a beard and move away and sort of fade into the sunset. Yeah. He'd just like start a whole new life. Yeah. He wouldn't mess around. He would just grow a beard and leave. Yeah. (laughs) He also made the point that though he's made statements throughout the years about being one of the last, if not the last person to see Granger alive, police have never formally questioned him, Hmm. according to Robert. Most of the officers who initially worked this case have since retired, but from what I could find, according to Robert, they either didn't question him or the whirlwind of losing his friend caused him to forget that he'd been questioned. So apparently that's like a phenomenon that can happen in like highly stressful situations. Like, you know, you kind of forget who you've talked to or what you may have said in a moment of extreme distress. Right. May not even have considered that it was a a true interview questioning mm -hmm. and just was like talking about his friend. Right. That is possible. Like we, I don't want to like belittle or dismiss Robert in his experience. Yeah. But knowing that that is something that can happen, I feel like is at least worth mentioning. Totally. So Robert does have some other theories about what he believes could have happened. First is the theory that Granger either did go on an interstellar voyage or that after a bunch of his super intricate and impressive mechanical feats made it into news headlines, that maybe the U.S. government saw his capabilities and offered him the opportunity to work on secret projects, particularly projects at the highly secretive Area 51. If this was the case, it could be possible that Granger was like sworn into some kind of secrecy, Mm -hmm. some sort of NDA that he had to sign about his involvement on certain projects. And that if this was true, he'd probably not legally be able to reach out to his loved ones unless he retired. Hmm. Okay. So that's, that's his theory. Obviously this does sound not super likely, but to many people who've studied this case, they believe it's not completely impossible. Sure. It, there's a lot of uh, uh, assuming that has to happen mm-hmm. for that to be the case. Right. We don't know right. Area 51 protocols, if they have NDAs, like what that process right. is like. People have families and work at Area 51. Right. You right. know? So it's it's not like, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of assuming that has happened for that to be the case. However, to give the, the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. like- Robert is legitimately thinking, well, my friend is so gifted that he would be the kind of person. Right. Which is what everybody else had been saying for Mm -hmm. years and years. Mm -hmm. Well, he would be the guy. Well, he would be the, like, it's, Mm -hmm. it sounds like that's kind of the way that he actually was. Yeah. So it's not an unreasonable point to make that if there is something absolutely bonkers (laughs) that could happen. Right. It would happen to Granger. Right. Yeah, for sure. So Robert also noted another obsession of Granger's shortly before he vanished. Granger apparently had friends who lived in South America. These friends had sent him some cocoa beans, and once he got them, he kind of went on a kick of like learning the ins and outs of growing and farming cocoa beans. Hmm. He tried all sorts of things, but the weather in Canada was just not suited for growing cocoa beans, and so that project kind of fizzled out. Hmm. Granger would say things like, man, sometimes I wonder what it would be like to just move down south and become a chocolate farmer. (laughs) And that that point of conversation had actually come up multiple times over the years or months, I guess, leading up. Sorry, I said years. I meant months. Oh, okay. So what if Granger had done what he kind of, I don't know, postulated would be fun? Mm -hmm. What if he actually left Duncan and decided to grow a beard, move away, (laughs) in this case to South America and become a chocolate farmer? Right. Robert believes that we can't rule it out as a possibility. Sure. That that makes more sense. Than Area like. 51 stuff? Yes. Um, also, considering that he had said things like that mm-hmm. in the past, it does raise the questions of like, why why never come back? Mm-hmm. You know? Or never call. Never call your mom. You know, mm-hmm. anything like that. Because um, it sounds like he also wasn't the kind of guy 
obviously I'm not a close friend of his like right. Robert, but I'm, he doesn't sound like the kind of guy that would just up and ditch his whole family forever. Mm-hmm. And Especially because n- he was close with them. Like he yeah. did have really great relationships with all of them. Yeah. So it, there's a few, there's, it, it seems like there's a character hole somewhere in there mm-hmm. with that story, mm-hmm. um, but not impossible. Totally. So I kind of feel like we've reached the point in the episode where we need to kind of discuss the nature of cases like this one. Okay. This is a story that has captivated people across the world for decades. It truly is a head scratcher and the element of extraterrestrials and Granger's unique giftings in the field of mechanics make this a story that is very easy to like sensationalize and kind Mm. of run wild with. Sure. But I think that temptation while it is a very human thing to do with stories like this is a little bit short-sighted because what we're looking at, this is an opinion in the case of Granger Taylor. What we're seeing here is a very unique man who had unique talents and gifts as well as unique stressors and interests and challenges. Hmm. We also have a big family, seven brothers and sisters and so many friends and mentees across the decades as well that love Granger so much and miss him and just want some kind of answer. Yeah. And I think that this is one of those stories that kind of highlights just how very human all of us actually are, like how we're willing to venture down avenues that we may have never expected to on our quest for answers when we lose someone close to us and don't have closure. Mm-hmm. Granger's parents leaving their back door unlocked just in case he came home. Yeah. His mother and some of his other loved ones being completely sold that Granger had truly blasted off into space and was off having the most grand adventure known to man. And that yeah. he'd return someday, looking the exact same as he had on the night that he'd left. And then Robert's willingness to look at Granger's disappearance from every possible angle, you know, leaving no stone unturned in his head or in his heart. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like this was a good time to just say like all of this stuff do like they do make logical sense. Yeah. All these things do honestly, like all of the individual responses to Granger's disappearance really do highlight also how special of a person he was mm-hmm. and that his loved ones truly saw him and valued him just for being Granger. Yeah. When he was asked if he believed if he'd ever see Granger again, Robert said, no, he didn't believe that he ever would. He said, quote, is it possible that he killed himself? It's really hard to accept that. I know that's a possibility, but there's all kinds of possibilities. End quote. Mm, sure. He also said, quote, I don't know who they found on that mountain, but I believe to this day it wasn't Granger. He literally disappeared off the face of the earth. And so if that's the fact, then he's not on this planet. And so there's only one conclusion that he's on his way to some planet on the other side of our galaxy. And that I have to believe. End wow. quote. Yeah. Which is like such a gut punch. It's like hard yeah. to read it out loud and like yeah. my heart's pounding. <laughs> I actually watched, I'll talk about it at the end, but I watched a show and that's how they closed it was Robert saying that. Oh yeah. Which wow. is just like, oh, and it, it just, to me just feels like the lengths that we go to, mm-hmm. to find some level of comfort yes. or peace yes. or level of closure when the realm of possibilities is so wide open. Yeah. But it's like, I don't blame a single one of them for wanting to believe that he was in outer space. Right. Well, it's, I, all, it's all about, not about their comfort, but it's, it, there's a desire to have some kind of an answer. And when mm-hmm. it's, when it's so wide open, like you just said, when it's so wide open, it's kind of a choose your own ending mm-hmm. kind of a scenario. Mm-hmm. And you can choose the saddest, most quote unquote realistic option or you can choose the most awe-inspiring and uh almost fable like mm-hmm. ending that mm-hmm. feels like wow that is that's the hallmark happy ending that he's I hope out he there has. yeah he's out there living yeah. his dream come true and he's right. happy and they all they do to a even outside of reason if they really want to but they do within reason have the freedom to choose what that ending is Mm-hmm. in their own hearts for their own comfort. Mm-hmm. Especially because I think like, just looking at it from the outside, the likelihood of them ever getting actual answers is pretty low. Right. And so just let them just right. take it with, you know, how they want to take it. You know, I just feel like this is that confusing thing that we do as humans. We're like, we desperately want answers, but we also don't want answers. Yeah. We want to decide like what happened because I mean, 
I don't, I mean, you pick the one that causes you the least amount of pain as you're grieving, you know? And so I feel like this story can sometimes get lost mm-hmm. in the fantastical details, but this is like a tragedy. This yeah. story is so heavy and so tragic and so human. And so even though this case is technically closed, there are still so many questions without answers. And I know that this case is more than 40 years old at this point, but if anyone has any information, no matter how small you think it might be, the number to contact the Duncan RCMP is 250-748-5522. And so just reach out if you have any information. And as an added side note, if you or a loved one are struggling with thoughts of suicide, you can dial 988 and receive help from the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline. You can also text home That's H-O-M-E to 741-741 for support. And those are United States numbers, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners outside of the U.S., I'll be including a list of international suicide hotlines at the very top of our pastebin link Mm. that can be found in our episode show notes. So for today's story, I used several incredibly well-written, respectful articles, as well as an episode of a program called Never Seen Again. Uh, They did Granger Taylor's episode in season three. So you can check those things out if you want to learn more about today's story. And for our Canadian listeners, there was a documentary made about this story called Spaceman that you can watch. Mm. I was not able to access it here in the United States, sadly, but yeah. Interesting. that, That is what I have for you today. Wow. Wow. I am... I'm just really like, this story is, it's funny because it's not a feel good story, but it does leave you the option to like feel okay at the end of it. Like Mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of potential darkness Mm -hmm. in this story, but it's like at the same time, there's just so much Mm open-endedness and so much promise Mm -hmm. that exists and a lot of lost promise, I guess, too. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, I I personally have, uh, I guess, mixed emotions on yeah. this story, mm-hmm. um, but I don't feel terrible like I have in other stories. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Well, I love. I do love the way that pretty much every single article that I read talked about Granger. Yeah, because I feel like I got to know him. That's cool. I feel like. So just so impressed by the things he was able to do and like teach himself how to do. Mm -hmm. Like there were so many remarkable things about how his mind worked and about his willingness to extend generosity, even though he didn't really like being social (laughs) and his openness to, you know, there's more Mm -hmm. to life than meets the eye. You know, I just feel like he was such a special person Yeah, and I really wanted to try and make this story as human as possible with how I told it. Because, I I mean, I've seen very few, for the articles that I actually used for sources, very little mockery, very Mm -hmm. little uh, belittling of his loved ones who just are trying to find answers. Sure. And I just really appreciate that. I feel like we don't always get that in stories like this. Yeah. You know, people, they were very sensitive to how they talked about him and how they talked to his loved ones. I just really appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. So, Yeah. Well, thank you to everybody for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Really, this one was just unusual. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it unsettling or unsavory at all, Mm -hmm. minus uh, maybe a few moments. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, yeah, just unusual, but uh, also I feel like it means a lot. This one's one's not weighty. That's not the right word. It feels weighty to me. Does it feel weighty? Okay, then maybe weighty is a good word. Yeah, there's a lot to that. It feels kind of like a broad term. Yeah, fair. That's fair. It's more than simply weighty. It's weighty yes. for like 5,000 different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, if you aren't already, please make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a glowing five-star review to this podcast. It helps other people who listen to similar podcasts to find this one. You can also follow us on social media at this one is a doozy on Instagram and TikTok. You can also follow us on Facebook at this one's a doozy podcast. And you can connect with us even more directly over on Patreon. Milo, why don't you tell them a little bit about Patreon? All right. So you can follow the link in our Facebook about section or our Instagram bio, mm-hmm. or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod. And for $5 a month, you can support what we're doing on our show. Um, you will get access to ad-free content. So you'll get every single episode, no ads, mm. and bonus content. That's right. Twice a month, you'll get your own special episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and they're great. 
And they're so good. Thank you. You'll also get access to polls where you can help us decide on things like episode topics. And once a month, we give to an organization that we believe in that supports victims of Mm -hmm. violent crime and their families and things like that. And we will be announcing March giving the who we'll be giving to next week. So cool. Get on over there, guys. Yeah. Go over and vote. Go sign up. Be a part of it. Vote for that. Listen to the Patreon exclusives. It's a good time. It really is. It is. Join the Facebook group. All that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. We have on. a Facebook group, we too. That's but right. it's for patrons only. Well, right. At this point. Right. So you that you got to be a patron and then you join the Facebook group and mm-hmm. all the fun stuff happens. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.